uh, here. Welcome again, everyone online. Uh, today, we're going to talk about expectations that are kept and expectations unkept. I know that uh, the actual title of the sermon is really about frustration. This is the last in this little four-part series I've been doing. I call Embracing the Struggle, where we just sort of deal with some of the harder things in life. Uh, what does our faith have to say about that? And yes, frustration is the topic, but not unmet expectations is often one of the biggest causes of that. So uh, take marriage, for example. Uh, a lot of pastors, counselors do pre-marriage counseling, and the degree they do ranges uh, from person to person. Uh, some of you probably have been through various versions of it. Uh, Christy and I had a whole weekend up in Massachusetts. Uh, it was full of exciting things and interesting people to meet. And um, uh, it, was, it was like a whole bunch of couples. It was like everyone getting a, a Catholic wedding in Boston in the, in, that in the summer of 97 was all at this one retreat center. It's kind of interesting. But I'll save those tales for maybe a future sermon. But they do, you know, we're kind of used to doing this. Uh, it was interesting because I asked her and found out that, like, my grandpa, so a couple generations back, he was a pastor. He ne they never did pre-marriage counseling back then. They, they did weddings. They just didn't, they didn't do this. The tests, the, the, the psychological uh, uh, compatibility tests, they didn't do any of that stuff back then. Uh, and, and so after doing a little research, I realized that it was right around late 60s, early 70s when a lot of pastors started saying, hey, we really need to step up and do this because the divorce rates were suddenly shooting up way more than they'd been in the generation before. And so the thinking was, let's try to catch people before we get too deep into it uh, and have a chance to deal with these some issues, to talk things through. Um, and so they would do that then before the wedding. Well, years have gone by, and they've crunched the numbers on this, and they find that sometimes it works, but overall, it has not affected the divorce rate. Uh, even among people who go to church versus don't go to church, that those extra sessions ahead of time, while people may find them helpful, it has not affected the actual divorce rate. And I think that's because, uh, this is just where I stand, by the time people come for the wedding, they're already these days years into the process, right? You know, it isn't like I'm at my mom's house, you're at your house, and you're at your house, and then, and then you get married, and then, and then you kind of get to know each other, and then get married and move in. That isn't how it works today, right? By the time someone shows up in my office, they've been living together, they've been dating for years, living together for years, kids together for years, sleeping together for years, you know, they, they're so far into it, there's no compatibility test at this point that's going to make someone go, you know? I, I really do love you, and three kids and 14 years of living together later, I don't think we're compatible on housework. We need to call this off. It just doesn't happen. I think it would be better, given reality today, to have pre-dating counseling. You know, you go on a couple dates, decide if you feel good with each other, then sit down with a therapist and go over all the, all the nitty-gritty things that you need to do, or have pre-living together counseling, or pre-sleeping together counseling, I think all of those points would be a lot more effective to catch each other and, and, and talk about some of the, the nitty-gritty things that can really make a difference in whether a marriage works or not. Um, and honestly, I would tell anyone, before you get serious about any relationship or any commitment, 
to spend some time talking about what you expect from the other person and what you expect out of the relationship. And I know those conversations can be time-consuming and not terribly romantic and not a lot of fun, but I promise you they will save you heartache later and they will reveal a lot. Um, you know, some things, some expectations that you should talk about, for example, just some I'd throw out, not, not an exhausted list, uh, things like children. How many children do you want? Uh, who's going to take care of the child care? Are you going to do daycare? Are you going to do two jobs? Uh, who's expected to do what parts of the child care? What about your bedroom issues? What about house cleaning? You know, talk about house cleaning. What do you expect? How, how clean do you expect it to be? Don't underestimate the importance of this, right? Even if you're not exactly on the same wavelength, talk it through uh, because it ain't going away, right? Moving. Does one want to stay in the same town forever and the other has a job that moves? Are you okay with moving or not moving? What about dealing with families? You know, what do you expect? How much of a relationship do you expect with families? What about Christmases and holidays? How many holidays will you spend with families and how many of them? Talk about this stuff. The families ain't going away. Money. Oh, that's a real exciting thing. Credit scores, credit cards, who spends, joint or not bank accounts. Uh, talk about things like how much independence you expect to give the other person. You know, for example, are you the kind of person where, you know, your wife can say, hey, I'm going out with the girls, I'll see you guys, I'll see you tomorrow. Or are you the kind of guy that's going to be sitting there with your phone going, where are you, where are you, where are you, who are you with, who are you with? I saw you with, the there was a guy, I saw him walk in there, I saw you go there, were you with that guy? What were you doing with that guy? She's like, how are you, are you hacking the security cameras or something? Are you going to be okay with that? Is that going to always bug you? I mean, it makes a difference. Talk about religion. I don't know how many people you know, will end up being like, oh, we're just going to not talk about religion. It's too much of a sore spot. Oh, you talk about what you do in the bedroom, but you can't talk about your religion. You know? And unfortunately, what I see is when you don't want to have the religion talk, the religion becomes whatever is the, whoever has the least religion becomes the one who wins. Right? If you don't talk about it, then it becomes nothing. On and on and on. Right? I could throw many, many more things in there. You know, but I feel like if you were to sit down and go through an exhaustive list like that, you'd be in much better shape, you know, to talk about these things at the beginning of the relationship when it's easier to call it off, you know, before you're in so deep. Um, you see, I think we spend a lot of a time as a culture talking about compatibility, and I know I've stood up here before, and I'm, I kind of lean towards the sames attract school of thought, but not exactly. Uh, but I do believe that if people are really similar, it's a lot easier to, it's, there's a lot fewer points of friction, and your expectations are probably similar if you behave similarly. But the truth is it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be similar if you have similar expectations. Uh, and if you talk through those expectations, you can have people who are very different, who actually can be very happily married. So let me use a, a uh, made up but highly stereotyped example. You know, say you got a biker dude, right? And he's got his custom chopper and he's, you know, fourth level, seventh patch or whatever their the thing is. And he falls in love with a librarian and who likes sewing her own prairie dresses. Now, normally we would look at this and go, don't do it, dude. It's not going to last. 
But the truth is, it isn't about whether they're different that will mean whether they last. It's how do, how do they deal with their expectations. If they have the same expectations for work, childcare, bedroom, money, uh, finances, family travels, and the biggest difference is that one's a biker and one's not, that can be worked out. You know, you could have a weekend where she goes to the conference on silence and he goes to Sturgis. I don't know if librarians go to silence conferences. Right? I'm telling you, I'm full of cliches here, right? But the truth is, the question isn't, would she become a, the question isn't, is she a biker babe? It's, does he expect her to be one? If he expects her to be one and she says, there's no way I'm putting on those ripped jeans and that leather and dancing on the table at the restaurant formerly known as the Bashful Bandit, then that's an expectation problem. If he doesn't expect her to do that, go your own way. Do your own thing sometimes. You see, it's, it's, it boils down to the expectations, but you need to have that conversation up front to determine what those expectations are. Because again, if you're deep into it, and then the house is messy, and she's gone too many times, and, and I haven't seen my family long enough, and my mom's calling me, and why don't you love my family? Now you're going to have tension all over the place because of expectations. And the, you know, the truth is you could say the same thing about pretty much anything you dive into, that you need to be clear upfront about the expectations and about the nitty gritties of things because it's when those expectations are violated that we get frustrated. That is where our frustration comes from. Violated expectations, unmet expectations, expectations we may not even have articulated to ourselves or be conscious of, but we just kind of assume, right? Maybe we got those expectations. We were just imagining things. You know, I imagined it would be endless walks by the beach. Or I imagined that, you know, we would all have magical Christmas times together and I wouldn't have to deal with your aunt, you know, who, you know, whatever, right? Maybe we had wishful thinking. You know, maybe, maybe we had a wish and we never articulated that with the other person, right? I mean, I don't think anybody ever goes into a, a, a marriage anticipating, you know, that they'll have difficult kids that'll be time-consuming and those kind of things. Everybody pictures their kids will be Nobel Prize-winning violinists, right? And, uh, you know, and, and where do we get these? Maybe we get these from the culture, right? You, you, I mean, when was the last time you ever turned on the Hallmark Channel and you had a rational discussion about compatibility and finances for Christmas? Right? No, I guess when you always marry a prince, you, don't, you supposedly don't have to worry about finances. But right? They're all, and they're always very different people. She's like the maid from New Jersey. He's the prince of Merck Burger Burgerstein or something. And, and, right? But, you know, it, it, it's, it's all about articulating those things. So, let's look at the scriptures a little bit on that vein. King David. What I was talking about in the sermon. He, he, we get a whole psalm here, him talking about some of his expectations. So a little bit about King David again. Remember, you're going back 3,000 years. So it, it's a, this is old, right? And what did, what did King David do? The quick refresher is that before King David, the Jewish people were in 12 tribes. And they still identified as tribes, but David united all those tribes. And then he went on and built an empire and it just kept conquering and conquering all around him. And he, ended, and he won all these wars and ended up rich in this big palace in Jerusalem with 14 wives. And all of that had been promised to him by the prophet Samuel 
when he got anointed king. Not the wives part. Samuel didn't mention how many wives he'd get. But he did say, you will be king and you will conquer and your descendants will rule forever. And so David's coming in with this expectation that God, the Lord God has his back. And so, you know, he can't miss. And he's been winning and winning in war after war. He thinks things are going his way, right? And he's living under this impression that everything was going to be great. And I mean, and that's what we all think, right? Wouldn't it be great if only I was king? Everything would be great. And then what happens? Reality hits, right? Because being the king is the most hated person in the world. Everybody either wants to get something from you or they want to kill you and take your spot. And so you have enemies everywhere, assassins, coups, people in foreign country, foreign invaders and foreign kings who want your job. You know, this is what you live with as a king. And David wasn't any different than that. Even being the Lord's anointed one did not exempt him from all the dirty politics that's involved. In fact, you get a picture uh, in the Psalms that the greatest king uh, was actually really rather frustrated with God and was unhappy a lot. And he feels like in some ways God gave him a raw deal. Let's look at Psalm 39 here. This was our reading this morning. It says, to the leader to Jedathun, uh, and always another fun word to pronounce. So the Psalms we figure are probably sung, and so Jedathun is probably just like the, the song leader. It'd be like if I had a big poem about my anger to God and I wrote it out and I sent it to Stuart, you know. It would be a psalm to Stuart. You know, it wouldn't be like an ode to Stuart. Oh, Stuart, oh, Stuart. No, that would be a great song. But no, so that's what it is. That, that's who this Jedathun is, if you're reading it and going, hmm, Jedathun? Okay, so he's the, he's the music leader. David penned this off, sent it over to Jedathun. And then he says, right, I will guard, I, I said I'll guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I'll keep a muzzle on my mouth. Uh, as long as the wicked are in my presence, I was silent and still. I held my peace. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. While I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Now, that takes a lot of self-control for a guy who could just, you know, if, if people are mocking him, he could slice their heads off. So there's a certain degree of self-control that David's uh, exercising here, right? He's trying to be wise. He's trying to be cautious. He's trying to do the right thing, which is don't just spit it out in anger. But at some point, he couldn't hold it, right? That's when he says in verse 4, Lord, let me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely everyone stands as a mere breath. Salah. Salah, we think, is kind of like cue the music. Like that would be a musical interlude. If it was an 80s song, it would say shred, you know, because that would be, anyways, so um, that's what Salah is. It's just, it's a musical interlude. Um, so, so what does he do? He's been holding it, right? You can hear the anger. You can hear the frustration in David's voice, right? He's been mad for a while. He's been trying to be nice, right? He's been living in Minnesota, and now he's moving to Jersey. <laughs> I've been nice. I ain't holding it anymore. Right? And uh, he's been polite. He, he can follow. And, and what does he do? He, 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 takes, he takes that anger and he goes to God. 
right? And, and, and he takes that anger and he follows it to God and he decides he's just going to let it out. And he looks at God and he says, look, I'm miserable. In fact, I'm so, I'm so miserable. Let me know when it's over so I can just plan it. Wow, to be the king, to have it all and to be thinking it's all over. At least if I know how long it goes on, I can deal with it. So he goes on, verse three, verse, uh, starting in verse 6. Surely everyone goes about like a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. They heap up and do not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I'm silent. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I'm worn down by this, right? And then he goes, you chastise mortals, consuming like a moth. Salah. It's interesting, he doesn't even yell at the people plotting against him. He yells at God for letting them plot against him. He blames God. It's God's fault, right? He says, I don't yell at them because they're not the ones doing it. It's your fault, God. It's your fault, King Malgagog of the Amorites is out to get me. Because you promised me that you were going to take care of this for me. He admits he's a sinner. He doesn't claim to be perfect. But the expectation that being God's chosen one was going to lead to this happy and secure life, it hasn't quite turned out that way. It's crushing. You know, it's like he's saying, God, you promised me. It'd be great to be the chosen one. And now I'm just as depressed and lonely, and I'm realizing how screwed up it all is. God, I need to restart. I need, I, I need, to, I need some new life. I, I, I need to stop being beaten up by you. I, I need to go back to the good old days when things were better. You know? And you just keep punishing me, God. I mean, and I would want to look at David and say, well, what did you think was going to happen when you planned to rule the world? A bunch of friends? You know, you think you and Pharaoh were just going to go down to the watering hole and kick it, you know? Share, share a beer at the Bethlehem local towny tavern? Hey, Pharaoh, look at this one. You know, come on, what did you think was going to happen? You think people are suddenly just going to be nice to you because they wanted to be nice to you? You know, or do you, or do you think that God was going to give you a free pass on accountability? What did you expect, David? You're the king. You're the one in power. It's lonely at the top. It's always lonely at the top. And God doesn't always magically make everything easy for us. Is that what you expected? That God would just clear all the problems out of your life for you? You know, I wonder, I wonder how much we all expect of God, really. What do we expect? I mean, do we expect that God's going to just make everything better all the time? Um, do we expect that God's going to give us whatever we want as a reward for believing in him? You know, is God supposed to just clear off the hardship? You know, is God supposed to reward us for our faith? I mean, I used to think that. I used to think that as a kid. Um, you know, I'd sit and I'd pray. That I can't believe I did this. It was so stupid, but I did it. I can hold my tongue no longer, right? I used to sit, I used to sit before like some of these competitions I would do. And, and I'd pray to God, this time give me the trophy. This time God give me the trophy because I'm a better churchgoer than those kids are. They don't even go. I, I sing in the choir and I teach Sunday school. And that is true, I did do it. And I enjoyed it. But I sort of felt like somehow that entitled me to trophies. 
Like, God, you love me more. Let me show up the heathens out there in Grand Rapids. You know, and, and of course he didn't. He didn't because I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I wasn't good enough to get it, right? He wasn't going to move me to the top and kick someone else off. You know, and I didn't do the back-end work that I was supposed to do. He wasn't going to take away accountability from me. But at some level, I expected that. When it didn't happen, expectations are violated, and I'm mad. I, I, you know, I didn't put it in poetry, but I got mad. Now, now I'm still a believer, obviously, but I like to think I have more reasonable and honest expectations. You know, I expect God to be with me in my struggles, not to make them all magically disappear. I, I, I do expect to get angry at God from time to time, for allowing a lot of the things to happen. And I wish sometimes God would intervene more. I, and, and, and I expect that because I've seen it, and, and I don't ever get comfortable watching people suffer, but I gave up thinking that there were miracle cures to human-caused problems. I've learned that in order to be a person of faith, you have to ask yourself honestly what you expect from God. Because I find a lot of faith crises are caused because someone was led to believe that God would prevent everything and fix everything, and, and now he didn't, and I'm all mad, and I'm walking out on God completely. You didn't do it for me, God. This happened. It's your fault. I'm out. You know, I think David would have been a lot better if he just talked to God up front, spent some time in prayer. You know, Jesus, he started, he spent 40 days in prayer, you know, having a deal, figure out what was going, what was going to happen when he did this. But that would have been good if David did that. David jumped right, he more or less jumped right in, right into the dirty politics of it all. And, uh, right? And how many faith crises are caused because we don't go to God up front like that? You know? We can't make hardships go away. We can't make hard work go away. We can't make the person we're with, be who they're not. We can't make God do what we tell God to do. And we can be upfront, we can be honest with each other and with God about what it is we really expect and what it really is we want with our lives. And I think if we do that and spend some time in prayer, spend some time in, in all our commitments and all our relationships being honest upfront about what we expect, it will solve a lot of hardship on the other end. A lot of hardship. And it will, it will, it, and yes, it's not always easy to do that. But remember, the Lord already knows what your hardship is. He already knows your complaint before you voice it. So you have nothing to fear with voicing it. He has already said that he loves you anyways. But take those to, things to God in prayer and have those conversations and build the realistic expectations. Amen.